0: Hi, everybody,
1: and welcome back to another episode of Father Knows Something. We want to welcome you back. We got Morgan, Justin, Holly, who knows where she went, but we're there. Oh, the socks. What do you see on the socks this time?
2: You've worn those before. The zebra. The zebra. Oh, I thought they were
1: horsies. I missed it. I was looking at one. Oh, four legs.
2: Yeah, they're zebras. They're they,
1: shaped like horses. 4 legs. They got the
2: stripes.
1: So we do invite anybody that if they want to send socks, we posted the address and you can write a little story about them. Okay, let's, uh, let's get a roll because tonight's a different kind of show. Why is that, Morgan?
2: Yeah, so a lot of these stories that we have for you guys are really important that we bring light to and share them with you all, um, but that being said... We, at least Justin and I, when we were going through them, felt like we were definitely very underqualified, maybe even unqualified to answer some of these. But we do want to get them out there because there could be listeners that have gone through something similar or the same thing and can go to YouTube or or Instagram and leave your advice, your comments. So we thought we would do an episode today that's not so much about our response, but the stories themselves,
1: and like like the like the name of the show, we only father only knows something. He doesn't know everything, so this is really to let you know that sometimes we don't have the answer. We may have a thought, but there are other people that will have thoughts also to help with this, mm-hmm. or or a better direction to go. Yeah. Okay, so are we ready?
2: Let's get after it.
1: Let's go. Let's do it.
2: I think we need to have a new drinking game on this show that every time you say, Father doesn't know everything. He might not know best, but he knows something. Every time.
1: And that I have to drink. You have to drink. Someone has to
3: drink. You have
2: to drink.
1: This sounds a little college to me. I mean, the only
3: <laughs> way that would work is if you were binging episodes, you know? I mean Maybe it's happened twice in an episode.
1: Oh, you I mean, they have to have a drink. Oh, I like that idea. <laughs> it's really... <laughs>
2: Okay, so. Hi, everyone. Thank you for the podcast. I love listening and hearing the advice. My issue seems pretty straightforward, but I'm really struggling with it. I, 26 female, have been married to my husband, 27 male, for four years, together for 12. Communication has always been a problem for me, going back to pre marriage counseling. I've improved in a lot of areas, and my husband has been incredibly patient and supportive. However, One area is causing major issues, and that's my insecurity. I am a horribly insecure person. Stupid things like a cute girl on a YouTube video he's watching can make me feel insecure in myself. When that happens, I tend to lash out and say hurtful things that I immediately regret. Then, after the argument, I feel more insecure about how I've hurt our relationship and get all kinds of thoughts about how he'll get tired of putting up with me and want to leave. What's so frustrating, though, is my husband has never done or said anything to make me insecure. This is an issue with me, and I hate it. Most recently, I lashed out and used something he'd told me in confidence against him. While he forgave me, he mentioned that this had hurt his trust and confidence in me. I don't want this to continue. It's miserable. How can I be more secure in myself and my life? How do I stop lashing out? I don't want this to hurt our marriage any further. Ideal outcome? To stop being so insecure so our relationship can stop suffering. Anything else? While I grew up in a very strict household, I have never suffered any emotional or verbal abuse. Also, he's my only relationship, so I've never been left by anyone.
1: What's interesting, they've been together since she's 14? Is that the math? hmm Wow. So here's a thought for you. Um, this guy has literally loved you and has, has stuck by you for four, these 14 years or 12 years. Yeah, you went against the rules when you use something against him, something that's private. That there, there are rules for a relationship and that definitely did it. The, the fact of him looking at a video to trigger you, I think if you're able to re... I don't know if, you, if you've been... Going out and doing things together, uh, camping or exercises, where you you're spending that time and building that relationship, that that would help satisfy the 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 void that you are feeling. Obviously, there's something I believe is going on inside you where you feel a void. That if he trips with anything else, you're feeling you're not getting what you used to get. Now, if that's not the case, then you it, the obvious thing is you. Get some additional help to to try to get you to find out what is the root of your insecurity, and maybe we could or maybe they can help you see your way through it that you aren't insecure any longer and to give you that confidence to know that the man who you're spending your life with who loves you and who is every day on building that relationship and the strength and trust of that love that it's it it's solid I mean you know, relationships are like are like a crystal glass. If you abuse it, if you neglect it, it will get dusty. If you knock it off the shelf, it gets broken. And then you have to go put those pieces back together and there's that scar from the glue. To treat this relationship as, as a piece of fine crystal. And I think you guys will be fine and you'll get through it. And it, like, like we said originally, if there is any reason why this is not working, then you'll definitely have to seek some assistance to find the reason what these triggers are that are making you behave the way you're behaving.
3: Well, I think that's it. And especially with this story and this episode in general.
2: I know, I think you forgot the theme.
3: It just is the fact that we've all experienced insecurity on some level. I mm-hmm. think that's just natural as being part of a, being a human. Um. But when you so clearly can recognize your problem and say, it isn't really, I don't, it's not my relationship, it's me. Like I'm having this, I know the feelings are not healthy and I know it's, I, I know I need to get it fixed. So that's why in this one, it just feels like I wouldn't even really know what direction to point you in because I haven't had that experience to even say, oh, maybe try this, but this is definitely a, let's let's try some therapy. And someone who has experience and a lot of clients that have been through these feelings, they're going to have the procedures and, and, oh, absolutely. and thoughts to go through. Yeah. The so tools. I, this this is, is the perfect example of this theme.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. Because I completely agree. We all have our own insecurities and we we all can be self-sabotaged by them at certain points. But the fact that she recognizes how much it's affecting her to the point where even seeing her husband watch a youtube video Mm -hmm. and if there's a cute girl in the youtube video she becomes irrationally insecure and starts fights and does stuff like that so it's like that is not healthy Mm -hmm. that's not healthy at all Mm -hmm. and you're to the point where you are going to push him away with this behavior eventually you're already using things he said to you in confidence against him which is probably the most hurtful thing you can do when someone loves you and trusts you. So, that's why this one is in this theme because this is truly a individualized therapy mm-hmm. is going to work wonders. And then I think some couples therapy would be great as well.
1: You find out when they're when you have your have issues. There's your conscious and your subconscious. You can't sometimes work with your subconscious to 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 knock those triggers off at first without recognizing the tools with some assistance to help you get through those. So consciously, you can watch your behavior, but subconscious, you set yourself up for these triggers, and that's what you really want to figure out, what's causing those subconscious uh, triggers and behaviors.
2: Yeah, and we all have intrusive thoughts, and so you need to work with a qualified therapist that can help you reframe those intrusive thoughts, and so every time you have an intrusive thought, you go write something positive about yourself in a journal. I hear this, and... There's a r- extreme lack of confidence in herself, mm-hmm. in her relationship, maybe in other areas of life, and that's kind of like having this domino effect. But this is truly, and right in that, I think individualized therapy could really help.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally agree.
2: Okay, moving along. Okay. Hi, Jerry, Justin, and Morgan. Love both podcasts. You all have carried me through some lower points and I couldn't be more grateful. Hope you're all doing well. I was hoping to hear your takes on an ongoing issue I have at work. Just to give some context, I'm a veterinarian and just graduated last year after going through university and vet school straight after high school. Eight years total. I work with all types of animals, pets, exotic animals, horses, and farm animals. I live somewhere pretty remote, so my place of work is the only veterinary care available for a large area of small towns and vast countryside. This means we get folks of all demographics as well. I wanted your advice on putting work aside when I am not working. I am salaried for a 50-hour work week, but often end up doing closer to 75 hours. So I want to make the most of the free time I do have. I just can't seem to put every interaction out of my mind. I try to be really clear and open with all of my clients, which means trying to be thorough and understandable when I explain medical issues, but also being open about finances since medical care can add up and I understand we are all struggling with the cost of living at the moment. I do often get good feedback from my boss and clients about my communication. No matter what I do, and even if I end up being able to help animals, I get constant backlash related to finances. When I prescribe necessary meds, I am just a fink trying to make a quick buck. If I prescribe food, it's only because the company must pay me per bag. Not the case. Or I am clearly suggesting unnecessary surgeries just to make money, because Google said so, etc. When in reality, I spend most of my monthly income on rent, living, and the rest of on loans. I am 300000 in debt, and these types of comments are weighing on me. I drive a crappy Toyota, scrimp and save in every way possible to try and make a dent in this debt as fast as I can. I would never suggest unnecessary things because I made an oath to animal welfare, but also because I try to meet every client where they are most comfortable when trying to come up with treatment plans. I don't know how to put those comments aside so that I can keep doing my job, but also enjoy my job. Sorry if this is a ramble. I am not sure I am wording it well. There are just some days that my medical success with patients are overshadowed by a bill, and then I just get home at 9 p.m. most days and think, why is my time seen as so useless to clients that I shouldn't have to charge? I went through eight years of higher education. I'm a doctor. I can do surgery, consult, deliver animals, do a full workup in one day, and I constantly stay late just to sit with patients in the hospital and watch Netflix with them because I want to keep an eye on them and make sure they are okay before i go home for the night none of this ever seems to be enough and i'm losing the passion i had for this job and i only graduated a year ago just wondering if you guys had any ideas on how to leave work at work
1: well you've had vets before because of your horses so many you want to start with your comment or not, and i'll and i'll take up the end
2: so we've been having some really bad like health issues with my horse honey she has crazy allergies. She's allergic to fly. She's allergic to alfalfa. I mean, you name it, this horse has issues. She recently was diagnosed with Lyme. I've had a pony that has Cushing's and has foundered. And let me tell you what all of these medical issues with my horses have in common. It was impossible to get a vet out. Like when Honey had limes recently, she still has it. But when she was like unable to walk, like so, so bad... My mom could not get a vet out for three days. So let me tell you, you are so, so needed and crucial. And if you want to move to Duluth, Minnesota, you can be my vet. But no, you should not feel bad for charging people. I think you're always going to have some kooky people out there that just don't get it or they're cheap asses. And there are some people that shouldn't be pet owners simply because they don't understand the financial commitment that it takes and then they end up dumping animals. So there's there's so many things wrong with, you know, all of that, but a majority of people get and understand vet and quality care costs money and aren't going to just sandpaper you and your wounds all day. And honestly, if anyone talks about the dog fa- the dog food and you getting kickbacks and stuff like that, I would literally say Go look in the parking lot and see what I'm driving. Trust me. Trust me, sweetie. I'm not getting any kickbacks.
3: The only thing I thought on this one is it just, it is so hard for me to see someone that is so passionate and so right for their role and so perfect in it and freaking stays late with-
2: With Netflix. Like,
3: and just goes above and beyond and then is so discouraged because people just don't value it. I think that's, I hate, I just hate that it happens so much in music. You get tossed around like like you were a computer program that just whipped up a quick little song.
2: People don't realize the hard work that goes into things. I mean, you even see it on small scales for all those like craft TikToks. And they're like, this is why I charge so much for my work. Yeah. I, it took 30 years of experience to get here, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, she's been in school for eight years, has 300K in debt. And is working twenty five hours of overtime, unpaid every week. Yeah, like she deserves every penny.
1: So this is the way that I see it, and this might be some something that will help you. I've always felt when 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 like dentists and other doctors, um, they shouldn't be the ones to send the bills. They are they are there to do the duty. The office manager is the one that calls up and says, "We have a, the doctor's coming out, and this is what they're going to do. And these are our charges. And if, as much as we like to do things f- for free because that's the way you know we want to help animals, the bottom line is that all this costs money. And we want you to be respectful and re- and understand that they're going to cal- come out. This is what it's going to cost. And if they have to do these, the, there are charges for these services and whatever they have to recommend, they're only doing it for the best interest of you, your animal and their, and and their health and happiness. And let that be the preempt for you to get there. So they don't dump on you when you, when you walk right in the door, you you have to actually take it on the, the fact that you are there to save the day and the office handles the charges. They can't put it on you. You are simply there to do the service because you've only been at it for a year, they haven't, you haven't gained the respect of the, um, these people that you're going to that have looked on the internet and live there to say, you know, veterinarians take advantage of the people by making them buy this bullshit dog food. And they do this charge so they can make money with the drug companies, the kickbacks. There is so much negative press out there that in some cases it might be real, obviously not applicable to you. So that's why you have to kind of remove you from that ability of getting that attack and just let the sale, the office manager take care of this. Your business will be better. And then they handle the collections. You shouldn't have to be doing any of the above. All your job is, is to go out there, put the glove on, chuck that cow and make sure that that cow's internals are working right or whatever it might be and get those animals healthy for them. And, remove yourself from everything else that goes on it's true (laughs) she should not have to be doing no
2: but i think um i think she likes to be upfront about costs and so she i don't think she's the one personally collecting the bills and i i should stop saying she because actually no gender or age was mentioned at all um so sorry so they don't mention um like having to do any billing they just say I like to be open and transparent with people mm-hmm. because I understand finances are hard. And so mm-hmm. I would appreciate that. I think I would rather know upfront what I'm going to be dealing with rather than walk to the receptionist and have $3,000 bill. Like that's, you know, it's just people need to realize things cost money. It's no different than buying a car. And then your car needs an oil change and tires and things like that. It's These are the costs that are sometimes expected mm-hmm. with an animal. And for anyone out there, pet insurance Get pet insurance, always.
3: Well, and even like just my most recent experience is Austin with June. uh, Justin's
2: roommate has a dog.
3: Yeah, and she had this random tooth thing pop up and had this big bump on the side of her face. And they end up having to do this like surgery and remove a tooth. Never once has he been upset uh, at the vet. He's never placed the uh, like- the only thing that he's ever been upset about is like, yeah, I'm like, uh, the pet insurance won't include certain things, and that becomes a pain in the ass. But he never directs it towards the vet, so I don't understand why these people are like. it's just it's so misplaced.
1: Well, I I, I I understand the frustration. I I I'm one of those clients. I have Holly, um, the vet that I went to for years was was a, a, was a very. You know, easy operation. It was him and one other person, and before you know it, I walked in and he had software going, and he changed his whole practice to be handling to make money with the way he did it. And I walked in and he said, "Oh, you know, you know, this is four or five years ago. Holly has cancer." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Oh, there's this tumor. Can you feel it right here?" And I put my hand. I go no, I can't feel it. <laughs> he says, well, I think well, we can save her, but you have to you know, do a small surgery on her back. It's going to be $1,200. We can get her in tomorrow and you can have her back. And I thought to myself, out of the blue of this, because she went in for just an injection, you know, for what, her allergy shot. Yeah.
2: And he didn't even biopsy it.
1: And so he immediately scheduled the surgery. He said, this is probably what it is. And I said, well, wait a minute, she's going to have you know, cancer, do, do we really want to go down this road? Oh yeah, this this is totally savable. And then sure enough, he biopsied, he came came back after he did it, charged me the, I think it was 1400 and something. Or it was like $1,500 by the time he was done. The answer was, it was benign. We found out, I, you know, I called him a week later. And I said, did you ever find out about that tumor that you removed? But this is
2: why we need good vets, like this person writing in, which we're I think we're all kind of missing the point. I think why I felt the need to answer this one Their main problem is just wondering if you guys have any ideas on how to leave work at work. I do not. I'm unqualified to answer that. And so going to their ideal outcome, to be able to use my time outside of work to be my own person and not just dwell or worry about work, my patients and clients try to regain my identity beyond being a vet, very ideally long term, just to find ways to cope so that I don't join the statistics of people that leave the profession in three to four years. Because five-year-old me would be so disappointed in that, and so for me, I don't know how to shut down very well. I am constantly feeling the need to work, um, but I will tell you, when I was at the hospital, I did not have that problem. I was an eight a.m. to four p.m. and after four fifteen, I was out that door. So, you, I mean, you have your parameters. You're a salaried employee that has. 50 hours a week and as much as you want to help you know your patients all your little animals you have to watch out for yourself because you are burnt out only a year in and so if and especially you're not getting paid for it which
1: is there a backup vet she have someone to back so
2: and i i think what like what i'm envisioning is their they not she they because we don't Mm -hmm. know I, what I'm envisioning is they're, you know, in their first year and they feel really obligated to stay and make sure their patients are good. And, you know, you're are you're still in your first year, year two years, three years, so you're kind of getting your wings, your bearings. So, you might want to spend more time at that place and really ensure everything's taken care of and you didn't forget anything and you know whatever. But, I would really scale down because 75 hours a week, 25 extra. No, there's five, there's five no hours, for you. 10 hours extra, maybe, but not even like 25 extra hours. You got to prioritize yourself and really start clocking out when you're supposed to be gone.
1: Can they define with their boss what the uh, hour expectation really is?
2: Well, considering they're a salaried employee, I am salaried for a 50 hour work week.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So... 50 hours then, then, is what the, it's is expected of them. And
1: then you're at the door. I know and I know here tough. I know here that's what they would if in, in these clinics that we have in LA they could they clock you out because of wage and labor.
2: Yeah, and so you just can't you got to make a goal. I mean, start small and make a goal that okay, this week I'm going to meet up with one of my friends for coffee or something. Like start small and putting yourself back out there because you are going to become a part of the statistic. If you don't look out for yourself,
1: you can't burn the candle at both ends.
2: No. And so I don't think like, I think this is kind of a very niche problem where we need a vet to like answer this. Like, especially a vet that's kind of been through it to be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, as a newcomer, I did this and it's really hard not to feel emotionally, you know, connected or guilty or responsible, but you got to call it. You have vet techs that stay there overnight they'll be fine if anything happens we have so-and-so on call
0: mm-hmm.
2: and maybe it's just knowing that reassurance that there's steps in place with you know other people if something went wrong but
1: be- being in that rural area I think it makes it difficult also I just don't know what a yeah. boss is and what his ability is it's it's his practice yeah you know she's the one that brought in it is to to be the assist you know to, to take up some of the slack but that doesn't mean that he can abuse her either
2: no and that's I don't know how the boss has let it go on this long. I think he's happy to take advantage of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really do think it's it's a matter of the boss is taking advantage at this point because I'm sure they know what's going on. Absolutely. So if there's any vets out there, help this listener, give some good advice. Also, horse vets that drive around with their truck and all their stuff. Maybe you won't feel so inclined to stay at people's houses. So maybe that's an idea versus being in the clinic. True. You're forced to be done after your day. Traveling. Yeah. There's not a lot of vets. Like there's a shortage of vets, especially in rural areas. So you are doing amazing work and don't feel guilty and take care of yourself. Okay, I'm done blabbing. Trigger warning on this one, you guys. It does mention talks of murder and stalking and it's a little heavier. Hi Jerry, Morgan, and Justin. I, 21 female, have lost a friend about two months ago. She was murdered by a guy who had been stalking her for nine months prior to her death. When she told him once and for all that she wasn't interested and to leave her alone, he bought a gun and shot her and then himself. We weren't very close friends and we had only been in touch sporadically ever since I switched to a different college, but nonetheless, I'm in complete shock and incredibly sad about what happened. Ever since she passed away, I've been so scared for my other loved ones. Every time something doesn't go to plan, I start to worry, and all those crazy scenarios start popping into my head. My dad went on a bike ride and lost his phone. He went back looking for it and returned home an hour later than planned. I was convinced he had had an accident and died. My brother's girlfriend left him abruptly without any explanation. He left the house and said he'd be back in 30 minutes, but hadn't returned even hours later. I was lying awake the entire night worrying about him, maybe having taken his own life because of the breakup. It's completely normal for adults to do their own thing and maybe come back later than anticipated, but it's driving me crazy and is sometimes almost paralyzing. I can't concentrate on anything else or go to sleep until I know everyone is safe at home. Any advice on how to overcome this fear and live a normal life again?
1: So, you know, this is the insecurity that you have because, because of the bad experience. And you're right. They need to get some assistance with it. Mm-hmm. I just know that we are living in a world where things are happening every day. And we, and we never know when we, when we leave if we're really coming home. But you can't let this control your life and your daily comfort. And I think what happens is maybe if you do get assistance, they'll be able to help you be able to accept life as it is and know that we live day to day. And yes, the probability of us coming home, very high. And, it, and not coming home, very low probability that, that we're not going to be there. But it, it's possible. We, we saw accidents the other day that are, that are tragic and you they're unheard of.
2: Let's not trigger her anymore. <laughs>
1: But 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 it's it's life, and we can't live. We can't take our daily ability of going through life, and let fear rule our life. We have to. We have to live life. We have to function. We have to be. Do our other daily things to enjoy every our our family's company, our friends grow from each other, and take the positive side, and not dwell on the the the, for the the few crazies that are out there there are people that are crazy that that are out there but we can't control it all
2: no so i think therapy would be absolutely amazing you do really sound like you have ptsd and a therapist or psychiatrist would be able to diagnose you um and then give you the tools and maybe medication would help. I mean, there's an abundance of different paths. You could go down with that, but I think therapy is the first place to start because, mm-hmm. you know, no matter how close or not close you were to have someone's life ripped away from, from them in this manner is terrifying. And it's, it's a lot to deal with, especially at 21 and trying to move forward from that. So I think therapy would be absolutely amazing
1: And therapy is not just deal with drugs it's it's really dealing with the subconscious and, and the circumstance and they also use tools like hypnosis to help re, you know get your programming those wires that you're working in fear to go in to be able to, to handle functions of life and what goes on and risks in life but to not let it own you yeah. so uh, that's that's really the place to begin and see if you can find that assistance and that help.
2: Yeah. It's, it's definitely, definitely amazing. Amazing. What can come from therapy? I, um, I do relate a little bit. I used to go in my dad's room every night and make sure he was still breathing. So I, I do relate a little bit, but luckily he got a girlfriend and now I feel like she would let me know if he died in his sleep. So I don't don't have to go check and make sure he's breathing every night. So I, I get those feelings and, however irrational they may seem. Because I mean, you 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 do rationalize it. You're like, I get adults have their own things. And so that's what makes me really think you're dealing with some PTSD because it's just so, it just is like, you can't explain why you feel that way. It just happens and you get scared and whatever. So yeah. Well,
3: and that's what relates it back to the first story mm-hmm. is she completely recognizes the problem and understands that these fears are irrational and that, I mean, she's even saying like, I don't want to live this way.
2: Yeah, it's not, it's not fair to you. You deserve a happy, healthy life. So just invest in yourself a little bit with some good therapy. And if you, you know, therapy, it's kind of a work in progress. Like you might not click with your first therapist. Don't be scared to move on um, and really find someone you mesh with and feels understands you. But it can be very rewarding when you find the right person.
3: Yes, and sorry for your loss.
2: Yeah, so sorry for your loss. That's tragic. Tragic. Okay, moving along. Okay.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.
2: How do I deal with my best friend of 15 years who is codependent on me for her health? I am a female, 33, and I have a friend, 33 female, from middle school. We've been through a lot together. When I moved away from my hometown across the country, she followed me for college slash university. She's been a good friend, and she is still a very loyal friend to this day. The issue is, is she's very codependent on me for her health, and she is fairly argumentative and confrontational with myself, my friends, and my family. She has been more or less adopted into our family due to distances from her own. Now that I have given you some background, I'll explain the current situation. A few years ago, my friend was diagnosed with diabetes. It took a significant amount of pushing from me to get her to get it checked on because she was very unhealthy and I recognized the signs. When she was diagnosed, she called me freaking out. Myself and my mom rallied around her and changed our lifestyle and helped her learn how to eat healthier, etc. Every time she had significant health challenges, it would be me verbally harassing her to see the doctor. To be honest, this translates into her personal life. If she has an unhealthy relationship, it takes me basically yelling at her until she does something about it. I know it's not a great way to help someone, but it starts off with calm convos and escalates into frantic yelling, cussing. I am worried about her health. The thing that makes it so hard for me is she's super argumentative, but she hates direct conflict. She hates it when I confront her about her behavior. She shuts down and it just turns me into lecturing her, which I hate. I don't like being that person. Eventually, I gave up and stopped confronting and telling her things that frustrates me because the behavior seems to resurface one way or another. Because I stopped communicating with her, I started to become more snappy and sharp with her when she started arguing with me. Eventually, she got angry back at me for being snappy at her and broke down crying in front of me. I explained to her why I was snappy and apologized. But I also said I just can't keep being the one pushing for her to keep up on her health. When her sugar levels drop, she becomes confrontational. And it's just hard to not lose my shit back at her. But I also don't want to argue with her every single time to eat or keep her levels up. She told me she couldn't really change that about herself. She's not as self-aware as I am. I asked her how we could solve this. And she said I should just put a banana or something in her hand. Dot, 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 dot. Even just typing this out makes me so mad. I just heard, quote, I would like you to actually be more intrusive when it evolves my health. Anyway, I'm very unsure what to do with this relationship. I have a lot of resentment, but she is also a very loyal friend that would give me the shirt off her back. Ideal outcome? My ideal outcome would be to have a relationship with her where I don't have to push her to care for her own health. And when she sees an issue, she deals with it within six months, not one, two years. I also want her to stop arguing every step over every detail.
1: I find this to be a very, very uh, enabling relationship, dysfunctional on, on every single level. And I hate to say it, that part of the problem is you. And yeah. you're going to have to uh, have a discussion with her to let her know that she is an adult. Go to the doctor. I think there are tools out there today for, with, regarding diabetes and monitoring your blood sugars consistently. It goes right to your cell phone. It sends you warnings. Um it depends
2: is, on if you have an indwelling pump or not
1: um
2: or indwelling monitor system
1: but but there are ways that people have to take control for themselves and they can absolutely
2: and absolutely
1: it's not up to you to be her caretaker that's not your that's not your her friend it's it there's there's two different job descriptions, and you are you, you are actually making your life with whomever you're with dysfunctional doing this because you're not being able to give the time that you need to give for a normal, healthy relationship. If you, if you even have one, it becomes difficult. Yeah. So this is up to you to get worked out first for you. And as far as her, she needs medical assistance to train her how to, how to do this. And if she can't do it and she's too emotionally crippled, then again, back to the conversation, emotional help to go help her get to be self-reliant and grow Uh, to the part where she can handle these her daily life on her own well
3: and the part i think where this becomes too big for us is then uh if i just guess hearing that what Mm -hmm. then in my mind if i came from this writer's perspective is i'd say well what if she doesn't take to any of it argues against it and then just blatantly starts disregarding her health to almost force me to help because that's almost what I'm getting from here is that this person will let themselves kind of fall to pieces and I need to be there. Otherwise, something terrible will happen.
1: Meaning that she will die because no one took care of her. Or should, well,
3: and-
2: Yeah, you can die from diabetes being absolutely Right,
3: and so, right. Or you end up with a very, like even- Worse, other conditions, whatever. Yeah, you can end up with no legs, no feet, and so that's where I just I don't even know how to answer that because when you get someone that's that defiant like that, and you feel like you're the
1: only string holding them up, it's a I, it's a lot of burden to carry, right?
2: Well, and that's what makes me think our our listener, and you know who wrote in, doesn't have a very strong sense of boundaries and I look at this and I'm like, this is very enabling. You are unable to draw boundaries with your friends. You are unable to remove yourself. And that's what you need to do. One, she needs to be shown the reality of what she's going to be faced with if she leaves her diabetes unmanaged. And I don't know if this is type one, type two. I'm feeling like it's type two because lifestyle changes really helped. But the amount of patients I had, a lot of my strokes were caused by unregulated diabetes. A lot of my stro- uh, my amputee patients, foots amputated, legs amputated. I mean, hands amputated, fingers amputated. I had people that had one residual limb left, one hand, and the rest was amputated from their diabetes being unmanaged. Mm-hmm. Is she aware of the reality she could be facing? Well, like, the- is she? does she know? And if she does know... It is time to remove yourself because you slamming your words at her, it's not working. So maybe she likes the attention from you. I think individual therapy for you might be good to help deal with like confronting some of that guilt you mm-hmm. might have. Learn how to set healthy boundaries. And she needed some help too. And there's OT you can actually get, occupational therapy, where someone could help her with medication management. And she could go in and learn all about you know how to manage her diabetes, how to manage her medication, her insulin, monitor her glucose levels. There's so many things. There's so many free, amazing, amazing free programs like where you can go in and work with chefs, work with other people who have diabetes. She needs to get connected to some groups, and it can't be you. You got to be done.
1: I, I look at this thing as that. Not only is she is she physically sick with the diabetes, she's emotionally sick that she is self-destructive and she finds that when she can come to you you're giving her the attention and if she's not getting the attention that moment she subconsciously may, may be self-destroying herself to go into these diabetic issues
2: that's what i'm like i think this is that's why i'm like this she, issue is huge right this she, is a really really heavy deep issue we are not like we don't know enough Uh, uh, and we're not qualified to really, I
1: agree. Like go down this. Fully agree. And I'm, but, but we are, I mean, it's obvious that this woman's got to get in for emotional help. Absolutely. There's no, there's no way about it. I mean, I, I've witnessed these these behaviors in my, in my 65 years and she's got to be, you, it's up to you to cut yourself loose from this responsibility and get her into a shrink or advise her for it because if she kicks back, it's up to her.
2: It's you make the recommendation. You say, hey, I cannot be your crutch anymore. You're, I'm putting myself in a bad position. Mm-hmm. I'm tired of reaming on you and having it go nowhere. I'm done. I'm setting a boundary for myself. I will not talk about your health anymore. I have done all I can for you. Here are some last... Little resources. Mm-hmm. But after this, I'm done. Right.
1: How many years has this been going on?
2: I mean, they're 33 now and sounds like they've been friends for years. And it's, it sounds like it's not just the diabetes, though. I mean, she followed her across country for university, which right. makes me think
1: she's dependent. Upon. she's
2: emotionally, mm-hmm. physically dependent on you.
1: And that's a lot of weight to carry.
2: There's like I don't I mean, I use the word enmeshment, but like you guys are enmeshed. This is not a healthy relationship.
1: Not in the least.
2: So therapy.
1: Therapy for both of you to get healthy.
2: Yeah, definitely. At,
1: at, at least if you can't get her to get herself healthy, you can at least get your get yourself healthy. Yeah. And that's the most important thing right now. You have to put your own oxygen mask on, you know, like on the airplane. Breathe for yourself so you can at, at least survive it. Otherwise, it's going to bring you down.
2: Absolutely. If there's any listeners that have dealt with something like this, let us know what worked. Okay, Justin, you ready to read?
1: Yes.
3: Hi, Jerry, Justin, and Morgan. Love both shows. It truly feels like I'm talking to a dad and a friend. Apologies in advance for the lengthy writing. Some background. I work managing projects and as a consequence, people. In the last couple of years, I had to manage a person with a depression diagnosis. My company is amazing to understand when it comes to depression. The head always makes sure to emphasize that it is a real illness and we as managers should recognize it as such and don't treat them as bad resources when they fail at their tasks or when they need to take a day or two off from work. I'm not a stranger to depression, although I never had an official diagnosis. I've suffered from it in the past. I've been lucky to surround myself with amazing friends and my incredible partner, who in one way or another has helped me to overcome it. However, I don't think that I've been at the level of not having the energy to work or overall function. So now to my question. What of my resources has diagnosed depression. They neglect their day-to-day activities and even fail to show up to work. In some instances, they disappear and don't respond at all, all day. Now I try to be as understanding and patient as I can be. I know depression takes the best of them, and if they could, they wouldn't have it this way. However, sometimes it gets challenging to work with them. I've noticed that missing workdays or taking longer to complete their tasks means that the rest of the team has to pick up the slack. I try to manage all needs and make everybody feel comfortable, supported, and heard, but I feel like I'm not achieving it. I also find myself getting upset with them. I had many conversations where I expressed my support to them, letting them know that if they need anything, I and the company are more than willing to help them. The only thing I ask is that if they feel like they're not on their best day, send me a message so I can organize the workload. They say they will do it, but it keeps happening and they disappear without notice. My ideal outcome is to know how I can be the best support to this person, but also balance a healthy relationship with the rest of the team. How can I manage when the team is upset about all of the extra
1: work. This this to me sounds like a business. A regular entrepreneurial everyday business and businesses have to have expectations and accountabilities. And I and if someone has an issue with depression and they are to try to maintain this employment and the employer wants to maintain them there has to be a defined expectation. And if they don't if they they can't stay with that expectation of showing up and going to work, then they have to go on sick leave and they may have to offer either sick leave. It depends on the, what, what, what the owner can afford. But for, for most people that want to stay in business, they, they can't pay it unless the insurance is going to take that up. You, if you're, if you want a job, you got to go to work. And these other people shouldn't be in half to take, take over for this, take up that load. And if you want to be a good manager, I think you have to figure that one out in your rules. I mean, it sounds hard, but there, there's some, some reality. You, you can't depend on everybody else because you know four or five people are coming to work and they all have their depressions. What happened? Everyone says, I was depressed this day. I can't come in. You have to have this predetermined or the person just has to go on, get emotional help get help with his depression get help with it with if it's meds or whatever it might be to to get him stable where he can come back to work
2: i mean i think that's really obviously this is a very complex problem you have a lot of familiarity with someone who struggles with depression and mental health issues i do that is highly medicated now transitioning off medications with their doctor however they have a very difficult time holding a job Correct. And so I think you say that, but there's so much more that goes into this, like this person's health insurance and the way they get mental health care could be provided because of this job. So to say, hey, you need to go on a leave and this and that it's you just it could be even even worse domino effect. So
1: So let me ask you a question with that. Do you think that it's it the employer's responsibility? When they hire somebody and they say, "I have an expectation, you have to show up," and the guy says, "I can't show up. I I I have issues with depression," and the the guy who's going to employ him to say, "I have I have a business to run."
2: I think the boss is being very very accommodating. I think that's great. I don't know, and that's why it's in this theme. You know, as a manager there needs to be some sort of accountability. Like, Hey, this is your third time. Not, you know, letting me know if you get one more strike where you don't let me know you're coming in. Like we're going to have to really whatever, but that's not like the manager. You our listener. You need to go to HR and you need to talk to your head and say, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. I have an employee that drops the ball and you know, they are really struggling with depression. However, you know, my team is becoming very discouraged and it's not fostering success for everyone. So there's ways to deal it. Maybe it's moving that person to a team by themselves. Maybe it's changing their role. Maybe it's demoting them a little bit to something less intensive. But it's not something
1: It might be I think
2: it's talk to HR in your head.
1: I, I think that the um, the protocol of what is set up for. There was a word I had, and you were speaking, and I didn't want to step on you, and I knew I would lose the word. Um,
2: I'll come back to you. Well, what was I talking about?
1: About going to HR, and I, and it really is the fact that they. Um, this has to be defined with with within their their policies on how we're going to deal with this, and if the. If if a person's just not gonna show up look, when someone doesn't show up for work, it's not because they don't want it. I mean, they don't they don't care about anything in life anymore. Life has it's got them so blue they can't even function. That person's gotta go back into being able to function literally within with, within the world again.
2: I mean, because yeah because
1: they go into such a dark place. And yes, it could be because they've missed their meds that day or you know, three days they they've they've totally forgot because you're you said it yourself. There's been people in my life that are in my life friends that we went through this and I could always tell when the meds were coming off and they were going through a withdrawal and they were trying to get off themselves and their behavior was just not, not workable. And it's, it's a problem. It's a disease. It's a sickness and they do need help.
2: Yeah. I, I honestly, I think, especially my generation, I think a majority of us have some sort of mental health concern anxiety, depression. I think more of us are mentally ill than not mentally ill, myself included. So I think it's going to become the norm where where businesses are more accommodating. You have to be more accommodating. This isn't the past of, you know, 1960s. And I think we are trying to get away from the, the cog in the wheel. I mean, I look at other countries that don't have these crazy work weeks and they only work 25 hours a week and they get mandatory six weeks paid off a year and then they have parental leave and maternal leave and oh if you're in France August everything shuts down I mean our country isn't set up to value people we value labor cheap labor and so look, look, I'm implying a lot. I don't know where you work, I don't know what you do, but I think there's a lot of working conditions that aren't sustainable. I mean, look at look at our vet right in. Seventy-five hours a week? When do you live? And so maybe there's another spot on another team, but I think first step, we're underqualified.
1: Bottom line, we are we are HR. We are underqualified for this one. There's no doubt about it, but there's there, there's got to be an answer for the business and for this write-in. I mean, there's some emotional uh, responsibility he's taking or this person's taking for for this worker. I don't know what that relationship is. There's, there's more dynamic that's going on here.
2: Yeah, well, you can definitely tell our listener cares. They, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not just firing this person. They they're worried about them, they're concerned, they want them to be okay as well, so. Mm-hmm.
3: Which I will say is the coolest part about this ride-in, because yeah. I think I think a lot of people would just be like, all right, you're not gonna communicate and not show up, bye, right? Yeah. I think that is the norm. So to have it come down from the top of the business all the way down uh, in a way that is so supportive is very cool.
2: Amazing. And so all they're
3: asking and looking for, I think is just to be met with that same level of consideration and just say, Hey, just let us know. It's not a big deal, but when you, but when there's no communication here, it it just is dysfunctional.
1: Right. But when someone's depressed, it's a whole different deal.
3: Right. It
2: is. So I think, I guess like when I, when we reiterate that, having you say that again, I think the first step is to sit down with your boss and HR and see what steps are, what other accommodations there are. And then maybe all of you sit down with this person and say, hey, we get, you know, you're struggling and we we really, you know, empathize with you. And we want to make sure we continue to foster your success. However, we are going to have to implement things. So there's more of a chain of command and there's consequences if you don't give us a heads up at least a couple hours before. So, you know, maybe that hasn't been clearly outlined and that person just doesn't it's been fine just not showing up and not saying anything so maybe it would be beneficial yeah so conversations so, to have
1: it's it, it, it and I'll, I'll put it into a perspective where you can relate to it sometimes you get behind the eight ball and you need help to come in and, and you have people that come and help you to to do certain tasks with regarding editing or this or that and all of a sudden you have somebody that's you know, consistently calling you and saying, ah, oh, I just couldn't get out of bed today. And they, and you had a recording or something going on that you needed to have them there.
2: I did have that happen.
1: And how how did you react to
2: it? You take the day. I got it.
1: Okay. And that, that, if that runs consistently going on.
2: It's exhausting for me, but I understand that, you know, people are dealing with very big battles and, you know, I, I get it. Life is hard for a lot of us. And so I, it made my life easier having them help me, but Mm -hmm. I was still capable of doing it.
1: Now imagine you have a wheel of five people.
2: Yeah, it's tough. I can't, I don't, I don't want to manage one intern, let alone five people on a team. So
1: so the person that, the, (laughs) the, the, the person that, that is necessary at the fourth level to keep the other three levels or four levels working, they 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 cave out and you got all these people stranded for that day.
2: I recognize that it's a problem. Okay. However, I'm not qualified to talk about it. I don't know the logistics of the work. I don't know HR. I don't know what you know accommodations can be made, which is why I'm saying go to your boss. Yeah. It's not we can't do anything.
1: That's correct. As
2: much as we'd like to know more and help and be able to to say more.
1: Back to the theme of the show. we can't. Back
2: to the theme.
1: <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't have the tools exactly.
2: to do it. I just don't think it would pay for us to keep rambling when we don't know. And I think we got to phone friends, you guys.
1: Yeah. So that's it for our show tonight. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yes, this was a difficult show for answers we really don't have. But Morgan and Justin and I felt that it was important to go through at least... Give you an idea. So, if you've wrote, if you have written in, that you could see that we do read everything, and we don't always have the answer.
2: Yeah, we try to read everything. We're only two people going through the stories. So, if you've said to us, "Hey, I've written in. I haven't heard my story," um, we're very behind. A lot of you are writing in these days, which is amazing and so so good. But yeah. I think we have like three hundred that we haven't read. Mm-hmm. So,
1: thanks. Again. We're getting there. <laughs> Thanks again for showing up and watching us and bringing us back into your life and becoming part of ours. So we'll see you next week.
2: Bye. Bye. Bye.